Amen. Well, everybody eat enough this week? Yeah. Ooh. Absolutely. I ate all that I wanted and then some, and I don't feel ashamed about it at all. At all. Not one bit. I enjoyed it. Uh, went over to the bigger's house, and I purposely positioned myself next to the dessert table. And I lie not, I stayed there for three hours in that seat so I could just reach over and pull. You think I'm kidding? I did it. Did I not? I stayed right there. Anybody wanted to talk to me had to come sit with me at the dessert table. And so, but no, I really, really enjoyed it. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody. Amen. Wow. Yeah, I saw something earlier saying they were going to cancel Christmas. I said, you can't cancel Christmas. Not as long as there's Bible-believing, God-fearing Christians who believe in the spirit of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? You cannot cancel Jesus out, no matter what you try. Amen? Amen. So, God bless you today. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, it's it's great honor to have my sister and brother-in-law, Aaron and Lindsay, with us today, all the way from Florida. <clears throat> Didn't want to embarrass them, but there it is. Okay. But anyway, God bless you guys. Uh, love you so much. And I'm just, I'm just thankful that um, we're getting ready to head into the last month of 2020. I've never been so excited for a year to end in all my entire life. Amen. But not just for the year to end, but I believe God is getting ready to do some amazing things come 21. And as again, I said, I think I said it last week. There was a lot of prophecy about 2020 being the year of vision and clarity. We got our dose. We got our dose. Amen. But uh, I, I do. I, I'll go ahead and tell you this. This I, I generally not this far ahead, but this morning I really felt the Lord speak to me on the first service of January when I am to preach and minister to this church and what God is getting ready to do. So y'all pray that God will continue to deliver me what he wants me to say that day, but I am believing it's going to be impacting. I'm believing it's going to be powerful, not because I'm saying it, but because it is words from the throne of heaven. Amen. And I'm believing it with all my heart. <clears throat> I believe with everything in me that that preaching doesn't need to be just my best life now type of stuff, uh, but it needs to be impacting. It needs to be relevant right? And if it's from the Word of God, it is relevant. Amen? We need more preachers that preach from the Word of God, not from a self-help book. Boy, I stepped in it there, didn't I? Okay, I apologize. All right, just, just remain seated. Um, today is week three and the final week of our Satan's Nuclear Option series. Um, as if you've been here and if you've listened online, um, we have been in a series about offense, and how the first week, um, Jesus clearly said in Luke 17, 1, that it was in the King James Version, that it was impossible, but that offenses would come. Meaning, you are not going to make it through life without some kind of offense coming at you. But the best way that we found to get rid of offense or get out of the offense uh, peace and, and, and error in our life, and that is to buy gold from Jesus. Uh, clearly in Revelations, he tells the church of Laodicea, you, you, you think you're increased with goods, you think you have financial prosperity, but actually you're naked and you're wretched and, and you're afraid, you're, you're all of these things. And so I'm telling you, buy gold from me 
Stop buying into the systems of the world. Stop buying into your wealth. Stop buying into your political party. But buy into my presence. Buy into my glory. And watch what I do with offense and how I push it out of your lives. Amen? And then last week, we, we discussed on how in Matthew 24, it says that and it gives a depiction of how the end times are going to come out and how it's going to unfold in front of us. But that one of the signs of the end times, now watch this, is that many would be offended. Many would be offended. Now, he wasn't talking about just the world in general, but he was also speaking of the church. Because it goes on to say that the love of many would wax, according to King James Version, wax, the word wax, or grow, every other translation would say grow, would grow cold. The word wax there in the Greek, we get from the word psycho. So in the last days, many will become psycho. Have we not seen a crazier world than we've experienced right now? People are losing their minds. They're full of fear. They'll, they'll go to work, they'll go to Walmart, but for some reason they can't come to church. We'll leave that alone for another day. All right, again, let's look over Luke 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It said, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that should... that." than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. I didn't notice that. I've read this, I don't know how many times over the last 60, 90 days, and, and I, never, I never saw that for some reason. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And then the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. The word temptation there in the original writing was offenses. Meaning a stumbling block or something that causes sin. It's an offense. It's something that turns our heart away from our attention from God to that of ourselves. And again, the King James Version says it is impossible, but that offenses will come. It's going to happen. Probably one of the best writings, the best books I have ever discovered outside of the Word of God on offense is that of John Bevere. He, 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 he penned a book called The Bait of Satan. And I have pulled a lot of excerpts from that book about the offense and the, and, the, and the power of offense and what it does to us as Christians and how I see it as Satan's nuclear option against his people. If he can't get you any other way, he will get you through the area of offense. But what was interesting in this verse, in 17, verse 5, after Jesus tells them, you, you listen, you've got you've to forgive people no matter how many times they come to you and ask you for forgiveness. No matter how many times they offend you. If it's seven times in a day, which is an enormous amount of times, right? I don't know anybody that's been offended seven times a day unless you've been on social media in the last hour. You have to forgive them. And it wasn't the miracles, it wasn't the signs and wonders, it wasn't all the great things that Jesus did that caused them to say, hey God, help us to increase our faith so we can do these things. No, it was the commandment to forgive someone that caused them to say, oh, I need more faith. In fact, there is nothing more in this life that will cause more stress to your faith than that of offense in your life. 
we've just come through one of the most bitter election seasons in our history. And it ain't over. They still fighting. They still slinging mud. But a fence is on every corner. If you'll remember back in the first message of this, in, in installment one, if you will, we grouped all offended people into two major categories. The first is those who think they have been mistreated, but actually have not been. We've dealt with that. And we've dealt with the, the, the masses of people being offended. But today, uh, what I want to deal with is that second group, and that is those who have genuinely been mistreated. Now, let me begin by asking you a question, and, and please understand, I, I know this is kind of the departure of the normal the way I do things, but I, I felt the Lord tell me we had to do this series way back in September. Let me ask you this question. If you've been genuinely mistreated, do you have the right to be offended? See, I, in my mind, I imagined everyone, you would say, oh, no, 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 no. So let me pretend that y'all, that's what you said. In an atmosphere like this right now, it's easy to say, oh, no. At least I thought it was. Oh, no, we got to let it go. We got to, you know, let it go, let it go. I mean, we could just go on with that little musical or whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is, it's so hard to let go of when someone has offended you. It's hard for it not to take over your thinking, to take over your life. And so when I ask the question, if you've genuinely been mistreated, let me ask you, well, let me, here's a better question. Has anybody ever been mistreated? The rest of you are lying. Right? So, but remember... We either been genuinely mistreated or we think we've been mistreated. So we all fall in one of the two brackets. But the truth of the matter is you probably have been mistreated. But now, the answer to the question, let, let's, look at, let's look at the life of Joseph. And you'll find his story play out. We don't have time to read it today. But you'll find his story play out in Genesis 37 through 48, chapters 37 through 48. And what we understand is this, that Joseph which we know his dad created a coat of many colors, right? As, as Sunday school, I remember, it was always Joseph in the coat of many colors, right? It was awesome. And we all dressed up in coats of many colors and we created little drawings of it and we colored it all in. And, but Joseph was Jacob's 11th son. But what was interesting is as soon as you get into the story, you find that he was despised by his older, 10 older brothers because his father favored him and had set him apart with this coat. Now, I don't know if his daddy did this to play a mean trick on him or not. Uh, surely his dad had to know how his brothers felt about Jojo already. But then he slaps a, a special coat on him, which set him apart, right? And boy, they hated him even more. Let me say this. Can I preach just a little bit? When you've been set apart... You become an automatic target for the enemy. And you've been wondering why you're going through hell and why you're going through all of this pushback and this setback. I'm here to tell you because you've been set apart and you're a target for the enemy to take out. God gave Joseph. Now, if the coat wasn't enough, God gets involved and he gives Jojo two dreams. 
The first, he, he gives them a dream where, where they have these sheaves. This is where they would cut the wheat and they would build these things up in little towers, if you will, and they would tie, tie the sheaves together and they, they, they almost look like an hourglass, if you will, and they would stand them up out in the field. And according to scripture, Jojo's sheaves were standing up, but all his brother's sheaves were laying down as if bowing subservient to him. And then the second dream was that he saw the sun, moon, and 11 stars representing his father, mother, and brothers bowing down to him. And the problem was, he, he, was, he was so immature, he, he should not have done this, but he told his brothers about the dream. And needless to say, they were not crazy about the dream. They didn't share his enthusiasm. They didn't share his excitement about what God had showed him. And so they hated him according to scripture. They hated him even more. But shortly after, his 10 older brothers are out there in the field. And their father's flock is out there before them. And Jacob sends Jojo out to meet his brothers to check on them to see how they're doing. And scripture says in ver- uh, chapter 37, verse 18 of Genesis, they saw him from afar before he came near to them and they conspired against him to kill him. That's some serious hate. That's some serious offense. And they said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into a, one of the pits. And so they ended up throwing him into a pit, but they took his coat. They, they, somewhere along the line, they decided not to kill him. But they took his coat and they dipped it in lamb's blood and tore it and ripped it to shreds so they could show it to their father's evidence that some crazy animal had devoured him. But while he's in the pit and while they're concocting their plan how to tell daddy that Joe is gone, that he is out of here, a team of Ishmaelites, a, a, a train, if you will, of camels and Ishmaelites are coming along the way, and they sell Jojo to them as a slave. And the ringleader, now I want you to watch this, the ringleader in the group was Judah. Judah means praise. And this, this makes what I said a little bit ago just, just that much more relevant. When you're out of the will of God and you're not, your spirit is not right with God, even your praise will sell out your brother. You'll walk up into a church and act like everything's okay, but you're full of nastiness and vileness and grotesque spirit, acting like you're worshiping with the rest of the crowd. And your very praise is selling out the kingdom of God. You see, Judah said, well, it doesn't profit us to let him just sit in a pit. It's not enough to to act like he's dead and then let him starve to death in the pit and then die. We don't make any money on that, he said, so let's sell him as as a slave. Notice how greed entered the equation. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. You see, Joseph had offended them. So they betrayed him, taking away his inheritance and his family. I want you to keep in mind, this was his flesh and blood brothers that sold him out. As Americans, we, in our culture, we just don't understand 
that it, how, we, we, it's, it's hard for us to comprehend how severe what these men did to him really was. You see, only killing him would have been worse. In fact, in biblical times, that when a man was sold into slavery, he lost his name, he lost his inheritance, and he would never, ever be returned out of slavery. He was there for life. And so when a person was sold as a slave into another country, he remained that way until he died. If he had children, they were slaves. If he married, she became a slave. It stayed with him forever. And so Joseph, as we know, given to the Ishmaelites as a slave, then they turn around and they sell him to a man named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. He was a captain of the guard in his military. And there he put him over his house and, and began to work him up into the ranks of his house to the point that Joseph was so good that Potiphar believed in him and put him over every red cent of his finance, of his resource, and of his family. Here's what's crazy. He did well. He flourished. Even in that slave environment, he did extremely well. But at, some, at the same time, the conditions for him were increasing and, go, and getting better. There was a problem happening. Mrs. Potiphar took a liking to him. She began to bat, his, bat her eyes in the morning sunlight across the little veranda there. Trying to wake you guys up because I realize you're probably sleeping on me by now. She began to cast longing eyes, as it were, towards him. And, and she began to say, hey, big boy, you and I can, you know. But every day, Scripture shows us that he refused. He kept pushing back on that thing until eventually, one day, she said, I've had enough of this. You coming with me, boy. She grabs his coat. He slips out of his coat and he takes off running. Now, I don't know if he was naked at this point. I don't know what happened. I just know he lost his shirt. And he ran, leaving his robe clutched in her hand. And when he did this, it shamed her and she screamed rape. You see, Jezebel will never be shamed. She gets even. And Potiphar then, because of this, believing his wife, has Joseph thrown in prison. And I want you to understand, the prisons in this time was nothing like the American prison. They didn't get three squares a day. It was just enough to stay alive. And it was dirty. It was messed up. It was, it was, a, it, it was a place that you were put to rot for the rest of your natural existence. And can you hear his thoughts at this time, at this moment? Man, I was serving him well. I did everything I could for Potiphar. I increased his bank account. I didn't steal one red cent. I didn't even look at Mrs. Potiphar. And yet, look, he throws me. I was more faithful to Mr. Potiphar than she, Mrs. Potiphar, was to Mr. Potiphar. He stayed loyal to God. He stayed loyal to his master. And look where it got him. A dungeon. Can you imagine the offense that had opportunity to sit in? Watch this. Now, though he had very little freedom, he still had the right to choose his response to all that happened to him. Was he done wrong? 
Yes. See, would he become offended and bitter towards his brothers and eventually God? Would he give up all the hope of the promises of being fulfilled in his life, thus robbing himself of the very last incentive he had to live? There's something we've heard a lot lately by the Christian church. Y'all ready? God is in control. God is in control. Now, I want you to imagine, did it, 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 it probably never crossed Joseph's mind until it was all over that God's, God was actually in control and that God's process through all of this was to prepare him to rule. You see, how he would use his future authority over his brothers who betrayed him was the question. You see, Joseph was learning, watch this, he was learning obedience by what he suffered. His brothers actually were in the palm of God's hand and God was skillfully using them to put Joseph in a place to learn obedience regardless of the offense. I hope hope you're getting this. You see, the question then became, would Joseph hold fast to the promise? And we've been talking about a lot. We've been singing about a lot of promises today. So I feel like this is just this God moment. We've been singing about promises all morning long and about, you know, they're yes and amen and they're this and they're that. And, oh, God's going to come through every time. If he says he's going to do it, bless God, it's a promise. He's going to do it. And we've been singing about it. We've been talking about it. But can you imagine from the position of Joseph where he was at, would he hold fast to that promise or would he allow offense to take over? John Bevere said it like this. At this point, Joseph had not yet learned that authority is given to serve, not to set you apart. Let me say it like this. In God's economy, authority is never given to receive, but always given to be a blessing to those under your authority. The bottom line is his brothers. They were the force that had thrown him into the dungeon. They were the ones who offended him greatly. They're the ones who attacked him just because he had a coat of many colors and two dreams. They attacked him. And so maybe he entertained thoughts of how things would be different once he was in power and when God put him in that position of authority. And, you know, he saw those dreams and that, blessed God, that had to mean I had favor. And that had to mean I was God's chosen. But what these boys have done to me, can you hear it? How often you and I, we sit around and we, we, we have conversations. If it wasn't for so-and-so, I would be here. If it wasn't for my stinking rotten husband, I'd be a better wife. If it wasn't for my boss, I would have had that promotion. I deserved it. If it wasn't for that preacher yelling at me, I could be saved. The list is endless. Here's a good one. If it wasn't for that pastor repressing the gift in me, I'd be free and unhindered. I've heard that one. He's kept me from fulfilling my ministry destiny. He's turned the people in the church against me. Here's a good one. If it wasn't for my former husband, my former wife, If it wasn't for those stinking kids. 
You see, it's easy to blame everyone else for the offense and imagine how much better off we would be if it wasn't for this situation or that situation. But I, I, want, I want to emphasize something to you. Absolutely, no man, no woman, no child, no devil can ever get you out of the will of God. God is the only one that holds your destiny. The only one. Could it get any worse? While he's in prison, he interprets two different dreams. One of them, the guy was going to die. The other one, the guy was going to reign again and be in a position of authority and power. And all he asked, Philip, is just remember me when you get up there. Two years later, he still had not remembered him. Offense starting to sit in. But here's the thing, folks. God always has a plan. He always has a plan. And the time came when Pharaoh had his own dream and his, his magicians and wise men, they could do nothing to give explanation for it. And so at that particular moment, the restored servant, the one that Joseph told that he was going to prosper again, he ended up remembering Joe and say, there's a guy that can give you the interpretation of this dream. Now, here's what's amazing. He gave the interpretation. Pharaoh brings him out of a pit, sets him in a place of authority, sets the plan in place to keep Egypt out of famine along with the rest of the world that would come to them. Now watch this. And guess what happens? Jojo's brothers show up, hat in hand, saying, hey, I need your help. Let me, let me say this for somebody. Be careful who you get mad with and start running your mouth about because there's coming a day when you'll be in front of that very same person with your hat in hand begging for help. Begging for help. Wishing they were in your life. And these boys sat in front of him, but here was the, here's the ticker. It wasn't about what the brothers did to Joseph. That's not what it was about now. It was about how Joseph would respond to his brothers. And if he had held anything in his heart against his brothers, this would be the time to carry it out. But this is how Joseph responded in Genesis 45, 5-8. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. What? What? Can you imagine his brother's shock and awe? I thought for sure he's, he's going to kill us, right? He's going to kill us, right? You know that's going to happen. We just need to get enough food for daddy, and then we're going to die anyway, and then he's going to die, and it don't matter. And he looked at him and said, it's not your fault. I wonder how many of us today would be willing to stand in this moment and say to someone who's offended you, it's okay. It's not your fault that you offended me. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Would any of us have the courage today to look at someone who's offended us and say, it's okay, it's not you, but God just used you to get me where I needed to be. I'm throwing a lot of truth at you, and I know this hurts. I know this rubs you wrong. Here's why I'm... This is why I had to do this lesson, these, these series of lessons. For us to be the church that God has called us to be, we got to get offense out of our spirits. 
And we got to understand that every person that comes against us, every person that speaks a bad word against us, every friend that has betrayed us, it is all being used by God to position us for a latter glory. How many believe that today? Amen. So the question that I have for you now is, who sent Joseph to Egypt? His brothers or God? And I think we're all smart enough to know it was God. It was God. Matthew 5, 11 has an interesting verse. We love to talk about these things. It says, you know, it's the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. There's something I want to draw your attention to as I bring this to a close. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Anybody ever had anybody say anything about you that wasn't true? Yeah. But here's the kicker. Have uttered against you falsely evils, right? They've persecuted you. They said all this mess. But falsely on my account. Jesus, in this verse, is saying, blessed are you when people speak lies about you falsely on my account. What he's saying is, it's not about you. It's about me. And if you'll let me have it, I'll bless you. How many like to get even? Don't lie. Y'all offending me. Everybody likes to get even. Everybody wants to do something to get back at the person that's offended us. But here's the deal. If someone is standing between you and God right now through an offense, who's closer to God? Good, good try, but not quite. You're close. If someone's standing between you and God through an offense, who's closer to God? They are. Until you say, He's yours. He's yours. Let's stand today. You may be here right now and you have been serving the Lord fervently, you've been giving God everything. You have, you've, you've come through difficult times and situations in your life, and, and I don't know when we as a people, we as a church, have ever gone through a more difficult time. But it's not just Revivify, it's every church in America right now. This may make you mad, this may rub you wrong, but I will tell you this, religious liberty is under attack in our country. And I'm not trying to make it a political thing, but I am telling you right now, it is happening. And I know people are, ah, I don't, I don't believe it. How do you think it slips in? One thing at a time. One thing at a time. Slowly, but surely and methodically. Until you wake up one morning and you're not allowed to worship. I'm just reminded of Scripture. 
Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I know it's easy to, easy to get offended with all that's happening right now. So easy. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 gives us a promise. He says that no temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. A lot of people quote that scripture and say, well, God will never tempt me beyond what I'm able. It's not true. Because if you are, first of all, God doesn't tempt anyone. We're only tempted when we're led away by our own lust, our own mindsets, our own attitudes, our own spirits. But simply saying here that God's not going to allow temptations to come in your life that will overtake you without also providing a way of escape. That when it comes against you, he stands there going, I'm your banner. I'm your shield. I'm your buckler. I am your wall of defense. Run to me. That is your escape. Getting even with someone who's hurt you. Getting even with, with, with a politician by being a keyboard warrior. Or I'm surprised we don't have Thumbs Arthritis Anonymous. We're always so angry, so mad at somebody, something. So all this, I want you to remember, we need to stay submitted to God over these next several weeks. For life, obviously, but I, I feel it's important for Revivify. We need to stay submitted to Him. God shifted something last week in our midst I believe it with all my heart I, I, I can't get past it you're going to see healing you're going you're gonna to hear about miracles you're going to feel signs and wonders and it's not going to be that voodoo hoodoo sp- you know, spooky stuff where we pull people up front and spit down their throat and, you know I, I don't know why humans want to make God spectacular because he's all spectacular all by himself he doesn't need us to do it In fact, I think the best miracle is when it happens just boom in service without anybody doing anything but just worshiping. Those are the most precious to me. Yes, it does come in on with the laying of hands and all those things. We do all of that. We're all about that. We support that. We believe in it. We go for it. But I want God to get the glory. But you know the miracle that I would actually love to see? For Christians to stop being offended. And if we stay submitted, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We resist the devil by not becoming offended. The dream or the vision that you have for your life, that you feel like God's given you for life, hold on to that dream. Now, please understand, it will probably happen different than you think. We had a dream and a vision for this church. Had no idea that we'd go through the hell that we've gone through to get it. What hell, preacher? You're doing pretty good. I lost a home and a car in the first two years of the planning of this church. I lost my car while we were having a church service. It was repoed out in the parking lot with someone running in and going, Pastor, they're taking your car! 
You want to talk about humiliation? You didn't have any money. But God always provides. Always provides. We've gone through some things, but the dream has happened. Revivify is here. Folks, it wasn't but three years ago, next month, that God gave us this property for less than half of what it was worth. That's a miracle. That's favor. How many believe in the promises of God? Absolutely. So my family doesn't scold me at lunch today. Let me let you go quickly. Craig Rochelle said this in a recent Instagram post, and I I held on to it. Your life is too valuable, your calling too great, and your life too short to be offended by something or someone so small. Why do you live in offense when God is so much greater? Because as long as you're hanging on to offense, you can't grab a hold of the promise that God has. Because you will not hold on to both. How many is ready to let go of the offense and grab the promise? Would you lift your hands? Come on.